Hey y'all, welcome to the Jefferson College Podcast. We're so glad y'all are here listening with us. We are the college ministry at Jefferson Baptist Church, and each week we'll post a sermon from our college worship service. Here's this week's sermon. How's it going, y'all? Good, man. I am so glad y'all are back. Uh, like the worst part, well, I, never mind. I'm not going to say that phrase, but like one of the saddest things about last week was the fact that I didn't get to see you guys. Y'all are awesome. Uh, and we appreciate y'all. Um, Rachel appreciates y'all. She is not here tonight. Um, she got hit in the head with a tree branch um, last week doing disaster relief. She is okay. Had a concussion, stitches, the whole nine yards. I was going to show you a picture, but I felt like that would be a bad place to start. Um, so I'm not going to do that. Um, but she is doing better. She wanted to tell y'all she's all right. So if you're worried about her, if you didn't know until just now, like she's good. Uh, so she's actually back to work and stuff. So she's doing well. Um, but man, I'm so glad to be back. So glad to continue this kind of mini series that we're kicking off the year with. Um, so two weeks ago, we talked about basically why we're here, right? Um, not only why we are here on this earth, but also why we gather together as a ministry. We examined Ephesians chapter two, right? We looked and saw that before God intervened, we were all sons of disobedience. We were children of wrath. We were basically dead without any hope. We were dead without hope, and this was a great place to start, right? And then verse 4 kicked in. But God, who is rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love, intervened. He sent his son to come and to die for us so that we might have life and life eternal, so that we would no longer be dead to our sins, but that we would be alive in And because of this, because of what God has done, we have been given a mission, right? Like we've been given a new purpose to be his workmanship, which essentially just means we are a painting. He is the painter. We're saying, hey, look at what he has done. Look and just give him glory because he is worthy of it. And that's what we figured out why we're here for. It's to glorify God. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at how we can do this. So we get it. If you've grown up in your church your whole life, you knew glorifying God was the answer to begin with. But how do we do this? How do we accomplish this new purpose that we have as followers of Christ? Today, we're going to be looking at how we can make disciples. Let's read Matthew 28 real quick. We're just going to spend a few moments there. Matthew 28, verse 18. says, And Jesus said and came to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a very well-known passage if you are a, a just church from birth kind of person. Um, This is the very last words of Jesus Christ here on earth. So he came, he died, he resurrected, and before he went back into heaven, he gave these words to his disciples. Basically saying, the last thing I say, the last words that I have are these three verses that we just read. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, cool. That sounds great. What does that mean? How do we do this? Um, If we look at this passage, it's very clear to see that we need to go and make disciples. Um, If we see the last words of Jesus, we're like, okay, make disciples, got it. But what on earth does that even mean? How do we do this? And that's what we're going to spend most of our time tonight looking at, is how we can make disciples. We know we're supposed to, right? 
And if you don't know what a disciple is, basically it's just a follower, um, a follower of Jesus, a learner. Um, there's a bunch of different words that kind of sub in for that. Um, but it's basically just someone who is trying to follow Jesus and what he did. And that's basically what Jesus is telling these, his disciples. Go and make more of you. Go and make more followers of me. And that's still our mission today. We need to recognize that Jesus' final words need to be our first priority. As followers of Christ, we're called to go and make disciples. So how can we do that? And that's what we're going to be looking at today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you thought we were in Matthew 28 all night, you're wrong. Um, we are actually going to be in 2 Corinthians 5. And it will be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. If I ever get there. All right. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, and just to give a quick background of 2 Corinthians, um, this is the not second letter to the Church of Corinthians. You might think it is by its title, but it's probably the third or the fourth. Um, we actually have a couple missing letters um, that Paul actually writes about in 2 Corinthians, um, basically saying, hey, in the previous letter that I wrote to you, and doesn't refer to 1 Corinthians, essentially. Um, so we're missing a couple letters with our manuscript, but we have 2 Corinthians, um, but we assume this is our fourth letter to the Church of Corinth, which is more than any other ones, because the Church of Corinth was a little rough. Uh, they, they struggled a little bit. Um, they didn't really understand what was going on. And they also had a lot of negative influences. They had a lot of people coming in and telling them the wrong things, essentially. Um, and one of the things that they told them, uh, which is what takes up a lot of this, this book, actually, is, hey, the Paul guy that you're following, he's not a real apostle. He, I mean, look at him. He's poor. He's been in prison. He's been persecuted. That just doesn't seem like someone who is receiving the blessings of the Lord. Um, this was their argument against Paul, and Paul basically, he came and visited them, actually, and was like, hey, don't listen to them. I'm not going to fight you right now, uh, so he left, actually wrote a letter, and basically was like, turn away from your false teaching, um, and then that brings us to this letter, which is him just basically trying to reconcile himself with the church at Corinth, so chapters one through seven of this book, or this letter, excuse me, are all about that. They're all about reconciliation, and the chapter that we're in tonight, in chapter five, is basically Paul giving one of the most detailed views of his ministry. Basically why he does what he does, how he does what he does, and then the, ex the extent and the content of his message. Um, so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Um, I have five points, so I'm going to try to move quick. Uh, if you know me, that's going to be hard. All right, so uh, we're in verse 11 to start out. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. We're going to pause right there. So to begin this section of Scripture, basically Paul is laying out his goal. His goal as a follower of Christ, as a minister, as an apostle of the gospel, his goal is laid out very clearly in verse 11. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. His goal as a disciple is to persuade others. This word is something that's probably strange to us to hear, right? We don't really like the word persuasion. Um, there seems like a little bit of a negative hint to it, a, little, a negative tint to it. Um, but essentially, this is just means to convince someone of your point, right? To convince others was the goal of the Apostle Paul. And it's our goal here today. 
In order to make disciples, we need to know where we're going. We need to recognize that our goal is to persuade others. Because, not just because that's what we're supposed to do as Christians, but because he knows the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not this like terror of God striking him dead with a lightning bolt, um, but it's more of a, a reverential fear. Basically a very large respect for God. Since he knows God and since he respects God, he in return is going to persuade others to follow him because he knows God and knows he's worthy of praise. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy to be glorified. So his goal is to persuade others. So I have a quick question. Why are y'all in college if you're in college? If you're not, cool. We'll get to you eventually. To get a degree, right? Uh, that's, the, that's the immediate goal, right? But you usually want to get a degree for some reason, right? Usually to get a job, to make a living. Um, maybe you just your parents told you how to get a degree, so you're like, okay, I'm going to college. I'll get a degree, whatever. Um, but you have a reason, right? And in order to get to that goal of getting a degree or getting a job or making a living, you have to take some steps to get there, right? Y'all are all, most of y'all anyways, are in classes, right? Um, because you have to take classes to get your degree, because you have to take a certain amount of hours to get to your degree. But if you are just going out and just taking classes for the fun of it, you really wouldn't have much of a purpose, would you? You might learn some stuff. You might learn where, you know, I don't know, biology. I don't know why you would take that class for fun. Uh, but, like, you might learn some of that stuff, right? And it might help you in some way or, or shape, form, somehow, right? But if you don't have a goal of getting to the end, it's kind of pointless. If your goal is not to get a degree and you're just like, hey, I'm going to go get in a lot of student debt, that's a bad goal. It's a really, it's a bad goal. In the same way, as followers of Christ, we need to recognize what our goal is. We need to recognize what we are here to do, how we are here to glorify God, and that is to persuade others. And basically, as Paul just goes through verses 12 and 13, he basically says, I don't do anything for you to look upon me and think, oh man, I'm such a good person. I don't do anything that you would commend me and look up to me and say, wow, that Paul guy is a good guy. He's saying, no, I don't do any of that stuff. What I do is so that you might know the truth, that I might persuade you to the truth of the gospel because that is worth it. No status, no popularity, no any of that is worth it. Only knowing the truth of the gospel. So Paul says, everything I do, in verse 13, he says, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. He recognizes that these things that he does, everything that he does, is for God's glory. It's to persuade others to come to the truth and understanding that Jesus Christ is the way. That he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. That is Paul's goal. And he sets out to do that as we continue to read in this text. He recognizes what his goal is, and the rest of the text is going to show us how we get there. Um, so let's read verse 14 and 15 real quick. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he who died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So this is a wordy piece of scripture a little bit. 
But essentially what Paul is saying here is everything I do, what controls me, what motivates me, is the love of Christ, which is the same motivation for us today. Our motivation should be the love of Christ. We are not to be controlled by the opinions of others or for trying to please others. Instead, we are to be controlled by the love of Christ and what he has done. So what is the love of Christ anyways? The love of Christ is him coming and dying for us, right? It's what he continues to say in verses 14 and 15, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Essentially what he's saying in this phrase is that Jesus came and died for every single one of us. Therefore, the penalty that you might pay for your death can be erased if you place your trust in him. He died for everyone, but it wasn't just so that they could have a free pass into heaven, but it's so that they might have life here on earth. So that he died for all that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This passage, what it's telling us right here, is that once we have entered into a, a relationship with Christ, just like we talked about last week, we have a new purpose. Our purpose is no longer to satisfy our needs, satisfy our wants, but instead is to satisfy his needs and his wants. And to live for Christ means to proclaim him and glorify him. It means to lift his name up to the nations. It means that everything we do in our lives should be controlled by the love of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you'll caught that or not, but I did not just say your Sundays and Wednesdays should be controlled by the love of Jesus Christ. I did not just say that your church attendance or your Facebook posts, those should be controlled by the love of Jesus Christ. But everything we do, just like Paul said in verse 13, if people think I'm insane, let them think I'm insane because I'm doing it for God. If they think I'm in the right mind, let them think I'm in the right mind because I'm doing it for God. Everything I do is for his glory. I have now died to myself so that he can be glorified, not that we can be glorified again. When he died for us, he gave us new life in him. And that new life is to bring him glory. We are now controlled by Christ's love. And in order to be controlled by this love, we can't just like talk about it every now and then. In order to be controlled by Christ's love, we have to experience Christ's love firsthand. There's so many people in this world that know about Jesus Christ. They know a lot about him, how he loves the world, how he's a, he's a loving God, right? They know his teachings. But unless you have an experience where you come into proper relationship with him, you will never experience the love that he has given us. Because while we were yet sinners, as it says in Romans 5, 8, he died for us. It wasn't some... Like, just accident. He didn't say, just if the, I died for the people who are going to turn to me and be good. He said, no, I died for the sinners. That's love. And guys, unless we experience this love on a daily basis, unless we spend time with him and know who Jesus Christ is, we will not be controlled by his love. Our actions will not be controlled by his love if we don't know who Jesus is if we don't spend time with him, if we don't communicate with him through prayer and through the reading of his word, if we don't do these things, we are just going to act like we are being controlled by his love. We might say the right things, we might go to the right places, but we have to be completely controlled by him. And that takes spending time with him. The third thing we see in this passage is that our vision changes. Our vision is now focused on eternity. This is in verse 16. 
It says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we were once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Verse 16 seems a little strange to us. Um, what does it mean to regard no one according to their flesh? It's weird. I, if I went up to you and said that, you have a, it should have a weird reaction, right? Uh, like that is not a normal thing that we say. But essentially what Paul is saying is we don't need to look at people by, based on what their outside appearance. We don't need to look at people based on what the world says that's valued. We don't need to look at people and say, wow, they're a partier, they're a sinner, there's no way that Jesus would love them. We don't need to look at people and say, man, they have it all, right? They're so popular. They have all the friends. They have all the grades. Uh, Y'all probably don't care about that. They have all the whatever, right? That's not how we look at people. We don't look at people based on the color of their skin, based on the stereotypes they might carry. We don't look at people based on that. Paul looks at them and says, no, you look at people based on the state of their soul. You look at people based on an eternal perspective because there's two types of people in this world. There's people that know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and there's people that do not. And if the people that do not don't break our hearts as followers of Christ, I don't know if we are experiencing Christ's love how we should. Because Christ's love did not die for the privileged. Christ's love died for all. And we do not have the right as followers of Christ to withhold that just because we don't think they deserve it. The question we have to begin to ask ourselves is, do we believe the gospel has the power to change lives? Not just lives like ours, but the the biggest of sinners on your campus. Do you believe the gospel has the power to change their life? Because if that is not our thought process, we're never going to share the gospel with them. Because we're going to discredit that before we ever mention the name of Jesus. We're going to discredit them before we ever even talk to them based on what they look like. And Paul is trying to help his people understand that is not how you view people as followers of Christ. Paul, who is very much in the, the racial reconciliation business, as he was a Jew who was making Jesus known to the Gentiles. That's who he was. That's who he was as apostle. And a Gentile is basically just someone that wasn't a Jew. Someone that didn't look like them, didn't talk like them. And Paul said, those people are worthy of saving because they need Jesus too. We don't get to pick and choose who gets to know know Jesus. We should see everyone with an eternal perspective of saying, yes, they need Jesus. Yes, it is my responsibility to tell them that. Yes, it is my responsibility to persuade them to know the truth of the gospel because it is worth it, because I've experienced it, because my life is controlled by the love of Jesus Christ and everything that he has done for us. We need to see people differently. So I have a question for you guys. This is actually going to be interesting for me. Any of y'all like 3D movies? Did y'all experience 3D movies? I know I'm like a few years older than y'all. I remember like when I was like, nine, like they started having these 3D movies out, uh, and I hate 3D movies because I wear glasses, um, and if you have glasses and you have to put glasses over glasses, it doesn't work well, um, and then you just get a headache, and you're like, I just paid $10 to get a headache, um, and you're like, this doesn't make a lot of sense, and then so what you do is you're like, all right, I'm going to watch the movie without these 3D glasses on, 
it doesn't work. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever looked at a movie screen that was like 3D like oriented. It's just like very fuzzy and like 15 dimensional. Like there's just like people everywhere uh, and like there's lines everywhere and it's just unbelievably horrible. Um, and that doesn't help with the headache either. Um, but anyways, so they designed these glasses, right? So you can see this, this stuff like trying to come and touch you or whatever, or hit you with a rock or whatever, you know, whatever the idea behind the movies are, right? These glasses orient the screen so that you see it properly, right? If you don't have the glasses on, you're not going to see the screen well. You're not going to watch a good movie because it's not going to make any sense. So often in our lives, we have, we're looking at people without 3D glasses on. We're seeing the fuzzy, we're seeing the mistakes, we're seeing the mess-ups, but we don't see what God has designed us to see. Because in front of us, every single person that we come in contact with is a soul that needs saving, is a soul that needs to know the name of Jesus Christ. And until we start looking at people like that, we're never going to go and make disciples because we don't feel like it's our job or our responsibility. But what Paul knew based on his knowledge of the Lord is that he knew it was his responsibility to go and make disciples, just like it is ours today. But we have to have a proper vision. There's no one that is too far gone from the gospel. There's no one that can't be saved by the gospel because the gospel itself is powerful and life-changing. It's not our presentation, it's the message itself, which is what we get into in verses 17 through 19. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So the fourth thing that we see in this passage is what our new identity is. We talked about this a little bit last week, but our identity is a new creation. Because if we are in Christ, if Christ has entered into our lives because we've placed our trust and faith in him, we have a new life. We are a new creation. Just like we saw in Ephesians 2 last week, we are now his workmanship. We are able to bring him glory because of what he is doing within us. We are something new. And you, when you get something new, right, you take care of it a little bit more, right? So I just bought a pair of white golf shoes, the worst decision I have ever made in my life. It was Rachel's fault. I can say it because she's not here. She was like, get the white ones because the black ones make you look like an old man. And I was like, whatever, all right, okay. But I got these white golf shoes, and they're brand new, look great. They were cheap, but, like, they look great. Um, and I, the first time I played them, I kid you not, I played in a swamp. Uh, it had been raining. I played with one of my friends in New Orleans, and, like, the whole course was underwater. You hit the ball on the fairway, it, like, buried three feet deep, and you're like, well, I think it went over here, so I'm just going to hit another one. Uh, but at the end of this day, my white golf shoes were no longer white because I did not take care of them, right? This new creation had been stained. This new thing that I just got had been just warped and changed by what I put it through. But so often, we act like that. We don't take care of the new creation that God has created within us. And we don't live in a way that says, all right, Lord, my life is yours. I am bringing you glory in everything that I do. Every conversation I have, everything I watch, every, 
every person I talk to. That is to bring you glory. But since we are a new creation, since we have a new identity in Christ, we have a new life in him. We have a new goal, and it's to persuade others as we have already talked about. We have a new vision that is eternally focused. We have a reckon. I can't say the word I'm trying to say, but that's okay because the old has passed away and the new has come. What God, what we used to be, as we saw in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, once we were sons of disobedience, children of wrath, dead without hope, he says, no, not anymore. Because his son came to reconcile. God's, and in this passage right here, it says, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Because we have been given a new identity, we have also been given a new responsibility. And that's what we just read. We have been entrusted the message of reconciliation. If we've entered into a new life with Jesus Christ, the Lord says, I am now giving you the message. I've done the work. I've done the ministry of reconciliation. I've come, I've died, I rose again. I've done all that for you. But now what I've done is given you over the message. And it's your job to go and tell others about it. I always thought this was a bad idea. I really did think this was a bad idea, but I recognize as I've been studying through this passage that it was the most God-ordained idea in the world because only a new creation can talk about its creator. Only someone that has been radically changed by the gospel can truly explain the gospel to someone else. Only someone that has taken this seriously and experienced the love of Jesus Christ can truly tell you the love of Jesus Christ. You might have heard it before. You might know the words. But until you experience it, until you become a new creation, you now have a message. And, and the Lord said, I entrust it to you that you might go and make my name known. Our new identity, it, it doesn't come from the things of the world. Right, just like we saw in verse 16, it doesn't come from the things regarding the flesh. It doesn't come from status. It doesn't come from what we wear. It doesn't come from who we hang out with. It doesn't come from our, our sorry, I, that just distracted me so much. I just hit my ring. Uh, it doesn't come from any of those things, right? It doesn't come from our grades, your job. It doesn't come from your relationship status. No, your identity comes from what Jesus has done in you. And when Jesus has done something in you, you have new purpose and a new mission, and that's to make his name known. That's to go and pass on this message to everyone that you come in contact with because the love of Christ controls everything that you do. Because your vision is seeing people in an eternal perspective and saying, no, they need Jesus. I understand that they're a partier. I understand that they are just, like, if I brought them to church, they're going to cuss in front of my pastor. I understand, but the gospel needs to reach them too. Because the gospel does not change lives of adequately good people. The gospel changes lives of everyone. It doesn't matter if you're the worst of sinners or the best of sinners. You're still a sinner and the gospel still changes lives. And we have to recognize what God has done in us so that we can explain it to others. So what are we going to do with this new life? What are we going to do with the message that has been entrusted to us? Are we going to waste it? Are we going to go out and muddy it up the first chance we get? 
Are we going to say, no, I don't want this entrusted message to me, so I'm just going to bury it somewhere? Are we going to be good stewards of what the Lord has given us? He has done all the work. I had a professor in seminary who used to always say this phrase, and like it was kind of always half-heartedly. But he was like, man, I'm glad Jesus did what he did, so I don't have to do that. Right? Like, I'm glad he went and died, and all I have to do is tell people about it. But so often, we can't even do that. So often, even though Jesus has gone and done the work, we only have the message, and we need to pass it on. So what are we going to do with it? And as we get to our last and fifth point tonight, we see in verse 20 that our process, the way that we make disciples, is to live as ambassadors for Christ. See this in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Our process, the goal, like how we actually make disciples is to live as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Anybody know what an ambassador does? What about like a social media ambassador? Y'all got that right? Basically, so I watch YouTube. I do. I like fishing videos. It's just what I watch. Uh, And in this, right, uh, all of these guys, they always get sponsored by these like weird bait companies. And they're like, man, this is my favorite bait in the whole world. And they say this every video, and it's about different baits. He's like, this is my favorite bait in the whole world. It's the best. You should go and get it yourself, right? They most of the time pay them to say stuff like that. But to be a social media ambassador, to be an ambassador for a company, basically what they're doing is saying, I represent this company, or I represent this product. I looked it up because I don't really know much about social media. Uh, And their definition of a social media ambassador are individuals who are already passionate about your brand or cause, and may be willing to share your brand, story, or message with family and friends. Basically, they look at people that are already passionate about what you're selling, and they go out and say, hey, will you, you mind telling other people about that? And they're like, yeah, of course, because I'm passionate about it. And in the same way as an ambassador of Christ, we are to be passionate about who Jesus is and say, of course I'm going to go tell people about it. Have you seen what he's done for me? I know the message. I know who I am now. I know what he has done. I know who God is. And because of that, of course I'm going to go tell others about him. Of course I'm going to live as an ambassador for Christ, as a representative of him, because I know what he has done. I know who he is. I know his great love for, for me is this, that he died for us, that he gave it all, that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might have righteousness and a proper relationship with Jesus Christ and the Lord. Guys, and if you claim the name of Jesus Christ, if you claim to be a Christian in in this room, you are living as an ambassador of Christ whether you like it or not. Is the way that you are living worthy of the name that you proclaim? Is the name that you are proclaiming worthy of the Lord and Savior of your life? Guys, are you willing to tell others about what Jesus has done for you? 
Because ambassadors, they don't just like, okay, not social media ambassadors, but like regular ambassadors, they go into other country and they talk up their country, right? They go and live as an American in a different country and say, man, America is the best. You should go check it out, right? Like that's their, their goal. It's to go in there and not just live as an American. That doesn't serve anyone any purpose. But it's to go in there and talk about how good America is to their, to their allies. As an ambassador of Christ, we can't just say, I live as an ambassador of Christ. Look at my life. People will come to know Jesus because of it. If we never claim that we know Jesus Christ, why would people believe in him? Why would people not just say, that's just a good person? We have to not only live as a follower of Christ with our lives, but we also have to announce it with our mouths. We have to actually be a good steward of the message that has been entrusted to us and not just say, all right, I'm a good person, that's enough. Because as we see in verse 20, this is a very powerful statement. It says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. God making his appeal through us. He chose us to pass on the message. He could have just put it on a megaphone around the whole world and said, hey, look at what I have done. But instead he said, no, look what I have done in that person's life. Look what I have done in that person's life. Look what I have done in their life. He has given us the chance and the opportunity to go and tell others about him. What are we going to do about it? Are we going to live as an ambassador for Christ? Or are we just going to put the t-shirt on? Are we going to live as an ambassador for Christ who proclaims his glory to the nations? Or are we just going to be someone who says, yeah, I go to church? Are we going to take the final words of Jesus Christ seriously? Are we going to make his last words our first priority? Or are we going to give it all up? Because at the end of the day, guys, I don't, like, this is going to seem harsh, but it's just the truth. If we are not going and making disciples, we are being disobedient. I wish there was another nicer way to say it, but it's just the truth. If we are not holding on to the thing that is mentioned in all four Gospels and the, and the book of Acts, that says they are to go and make disciples. If we are not listening to those words of Jesus Christ, we are just being disobedient. And you might look at me today and say, man, I don't know enough. I haven't, I haven't been in church enough. I don't know the right answers. I don't know the right questions. I don't know, I haven't, I don't know, the, I don't even know what theology means. But guys, the truth is, if you know enough of the gospel for it to save your life, you know enough of the gospel for it to save someone else's. And that's all we need. Because he has done the work. We have just been given the message. And as we see in chapter 6, verse 2, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There's no time to wait. There's no time to say, all right, I'm going to do that later when I grow up, when I'm more mature. No, the first thing we do as followers of Christ is to proclaim his name. That's why baptism is such a big thing for us. Because that is you saying, I am with him. I am proclaiming his name. That's why as you read through the book of Acts, you see over and over again, as people believe and come to trust and faith in him, they place their faith by saying, I want to be baptized because that is identifying myself with them. That is saying, I am with them. 
I am with Christ because he has done it. And that's the first act of obedience. But it can't stop there. It continues because we all have the personal responsibility to go and make more disciples. This was not for the select few. This is not for the elite Christians. This is for the everyday Christians because that is just, that's just what he calls us to do. A Christian is someone who proclaims the name of Jesus to the people he's around. And as we conclude, guys, just as Paul pleads with those that have not placed their faith in Christ, I appeal to you this evening. Paul gives it in four words. He gives the gospel in four words, and it's really easy. He says, be reconciled to God. That's the work that Jesus did. He came in here so that we could have a proper relationship with God. He came and did the work in the ministry of reconciliation. And Paul, just like his whole message, he looks at everyone that he comes in contact with, and he says, be reconciled to God because you have to place your faith in him. Even though Jesus did the work for all, we still have to respond to what he has done. So if you have never given your life to Christ in this room tonight, I plead with you that you would be reconciled to God. If you don't know what that means, if you don't know how to do that, I'm going to be in this room for a while. I gave a time on it last, last week. It was a bad idea. But I'm going to be here for a while. Come talk to me. Come talk to any of our leaders in this room. They would love to have that conversation with you. Guys, and as followers of Christ, as someone who wants to glorify God, we have to recognize that our goal is to go and make disciples. Our goal is to persuade others. Our goal is to do this through a proper vision, through a proper motivation, through a proper identity, and a proper process. And we are to live as an ambassador of Christ everywhere we go, and that means we proclaim his name. That means we live as followers of Christ, but we also speak as followers of Christ and say, look at what the creator has done in me. 